back to the David Glenn Show. We will have one more call for phone calls later today. Plenty's left to discuss. Howard Fendridge joins us live, tennis writer for the Associated Press. He is at the All England Club in Wimbledon, which still have Ser- has Serena standing. Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic are three of the four finalists on the men's singles bracket. We'll get a truly up-close-and-personal update from Howard in about 30 minutes. Joining us now, as promised, on all things basketball and with a twist, former Golden State Warriors player Nick Young was quoted on sports radio today or recently saying, among other things, that his coach with the Warriors, Steve Kerr, quote, rolls the best blunt in the NBA. Who knew CBD oil came up earlier today in the PGA Tour context? I had no idea that hemp and or marijuana, which would have such a large presence on today's program. Into that splashes Tom Haverstrow of NBC Sports. We will pick his brain about the game and free agency and the summer league and other things. Tom, welcome welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Uh, Marijuana is legal in a whole bunch of U.S. states as we speak, what what, would, what big picture would you paint when it comes to, you know, players asking for such things to be deregulated by the NBA? And what did you make of Nick Young's comment about Steve Kerr? I know Nick is uh, an entertaining but erratic guy sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I laughed when I saw that headline because, you know, Let's just take it for at, at his word that it's true that that Steve Kerr rolls a really nice blunt. Okay, <laughs> in five years ago or ten years ago, that would have been, uh, you know, a headline that would get Steve Kerr in a lot of trouble. But now that the, you know, prohibition against uh, against marijuana across the United States is easing, uh, and medical marijuana is seen as a viable um, and safe use of. Uh, you know, a therapeutic for, for a lot of patients. I've talked to Steve Kerr about his marijuana use with regard to his back surgery, which is excruciating. I actually had a similar affliction. Um, as Steve Kerr, I had a spinal fluid leak out of my back mm. uh, when I was in college at Wake Forest um, because I, I, I had a spinal tap and the, and the wound did not close. Yes. So I didn't smoke weed uh, to get over that, but I do know that it's excruciating pain. Speaking from experience, and actually I, I had consulted with Steve uh, a couple times because there just aren't that many people uh, that have had that issue before. So it's funny you mentioned that, um, that I, it, it is excruciating. And so if marijuana helps, I'll, I'm all for that. And the second thought I have here, DG, is, you know, we, we watch a parade for all across all these sports where they win a championship and they're just crushing years, yes. Yes. crushing liquor. Um, we, we see these glowing profiles of Greg Popovich and his love for wine and how he can just pound wine and, and drink all, all, all night the finest wine in the world. And yet the Nick Young comment seems salacious. You know, it's funny how we treat alcohol and alcoholism, which we, which we see around the league uh, or around the world, um, around the United States. Uh, we understand the risks there, but when it comes to marijuana, it seems a little bit more scandalous when Steve Kerr can roll a great blunt when, uh, you know, we, we, know, we, we applaud Greg Popovich and his, and his wine, uh, uh, his love for wine. So it's funny how the, the, con- the conversation is changing. 
Um, I don't know anything from experience or anything from Steve Kerr that in conversations that he does roll a fine blunt. But, you know, if if we talked about a a guy who is able to make an amazing beer in in his house, a homemade brew, you would never think twice about it. But this is a headline. I think all of that is really well said, and I want to make sure listeners know my next question to Tom is going to be with most of free agency in the books, which team's pieces fit together best from his large brain analytics point of view. I just have to follow up with something else. I can't shake this image. Young Tom Haverstrow at the brilliant institution that is Wake Forest University. Imagine if he was a user of marijuana, and he's made clear that he's not speaking from personal experience. Wouldn't can picture Tom in front of the dean of students being able to say with a straight face, "Well, seriously, dean, I had a spinal tap and there was a leak, and the reason that's in my system." I mean, that would be the most unbelievable excuse ever. And for poor Tom, I had no idea you went through that kind of medical challenge. You'd have been telling the truth. That I can't. I'm yes. never going to be able to shake that. It would have been a great alibi, right? <laughs> It would have been. All right, so with most of free agency <laughs> done uh, through your large analytics basketball brain, which team's pieces fit together as we have a lot of dynamic duos but maybe no healthy big three to chew on right now? Yeah, the, the NBA is wide open. I talked to uh, Jeff Sherman, who runs the Westgate Sports Book. I'm here in Vegas right now, uh, and it's just a you know, coincidence that I talked to this bookmaker about the wide open NBA where, you know, there's, um, you know, so much parity uh, at the top. The, the odds have flattened out at the top where you can get, you know, several championship contenders for pretty good value right now because there is no super team. You know, there's no team that's he- so heavily favored that, you know, they're negative where, uh, you know, you see the Warriors are super heavy favorites. Uh, but, you know, you, you don't see this in the league next year where the Clippers have questions, um, the Lakers have questions, and I'm actually high on Golden State next season. I think people are sleeping on them. But here's the big problem with today's NBA right now is that the uncertainty around superstars and the availability of superstars and load management, it's hard to peg. I mean, if I could yeah. say that you know Steph Curry and Draymond Green were going to play 82 games next year, I might pick them to win the West. Yeah. But if they're going to be load managed, so to speak, and resting throughout the season to manage their, their workload uh, because this might be a down year and they might not want to push the envelope with those two stars uh, and Clay Thompson's out, you don't want to grind them to bits while he's out with an ACL injury. Um, so, and the same thing goes for Kawhi Leonard and Paul George with L.A., I'm actually – I love the fit with with those two guys. No one's going to score on the Clippers when everyone's healthy. But there's that caveat. When everyone's healthy, people are underestimating the fact that Paul George is coming off double shoulder surgery. He had a torn labrum in both shoulders. For a guy who's a really good shooter, um, you know, that's important. Your ability to, to, to shoot the ball with healthy shoulders, that's underestimated right now going into next season. And then on top of that, you have Kawhi Leonard's load management – um, where you're going to need Paul George a lot more. Now, they have a really deep roster. They have two starting lineups, in my opinion, With when it comes to Montrez Harrell. You've got Lou Williams, yeah. Patrick Beverly. You have a really strong roster. But I just wonder, in today's NBA, how much certainty there is 
when you're looking at Joel Embiid playing like 60 games next year because he wants to be healthy for the playoffs. It's hard to peg. Tom Haverstrow is joining us. Find his great work as an NBA, NBA insider at NBCSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at Tom Haverstrow. There are two things that the free agency dominoes um, led me to be excited about, and I, I want your feedback, especially on the second one. I'm excited that 34-year-old LeBron James matters again. Like, I, it just killed me as sort of a neutral observer. I do like LeBron, but the L.A. Lakers completely wasted a, a season in which he played at an all-star level and an all-NBA level, and that's not going to happen again. I mean, we'll see how, how high up the ladder they get. But to me, that's exciting as an NBA fan. 13 straight years in the playoffs where we enjoy LeBron, and then one year without him as he's still an all-NBA player. That just hurt. The other one, and you as a Wake Forest product may have even more detailed thoughts, to me, Chris Paul's never-ending quest for that elusive championship. His critics will always remind us what he did not do at Wake, what he has not done in the NBA. They'll ignore the gold medals that he's been a part of. But he's recently turned 34 years old, so there's still some tread left on those tires. I can't I look at the the Rockets rotation and I can't help but put it somewhere in like a top five power rankings. Or do you expect more shaking up there weeks after we read that maybe CP3 and James Harden don't get along in real life as well as they do in, in insurance commercials? Well, for your first question about LeBron, couldn't agree more with you, and the ratings would uh, couldn't agree more with right. you. Right. When you look at the ratings of the NBA last year, they were down, and a lot of people thought, hey, maybe it's because the NFL is more compelling this year, uh, and, and it's just killing the Thursday night games are actually better than the TNT games. And then when the NFL left, the NBA still was hurting in the ratings. I think a lot of it has to do with, A, LeBron James' team wasn't very good, and, B, LeBron James' team was on the West Coast. So you had this, this saturation of West Coast dominant or, uh, you know, superstars with Steph Curry, KD, and LeBron all on the West Coast time. So you had a lot of markets on the East Coast just not staying up to watch that. And I think it's going to be great for the NBA that, uh, that the Lakers and the Clippers have, have um, you know, ramped up because they need those markets, those huge markets, to be good, to be relevant. And that, that goes for the Kyrie Irving Nets too. And I think, you know, the, the flattening at the top, is good because you have more people being interested and feel like, hey, we can win a championship this year. But I do think that the Knicks need to get better for the viability of the league. Just like, you know, the, the fact that the New York Knicks have been irrelevant for years now yeah. is not good for the health of the sport. And secondly, your, your second question about CP, you know, it's not just him. It's James Harden. It's Russell Westbrook. I mean, think about the fact that we're um, – you know, seven years removed from when they went to the NBA Finals together, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, and they're you know James Harden and Russ are still looking for yeah. for a title here. So CP is not alone in that sense. And I will say, I think this Russell Westbrook trade rumors. There's a lot to it with the Miami Heat. Uh, there have been some whispers about that maybe the uh, Chris Paul will be involved in that trade, but I, I don't see it. I think Russell Westbrook in Miami. Uh, especially with Tyler Hero breaking out here in Summer League, I think that deal will get done at some point, whether it's now or 30 days from now when Tyler Hero becomes tradable under the collective bargaining agreement. Tom Haverstrow is with us live from Las Vegas. The Summer League action does continue there. I always urge caution when, you know, coming to either the great conclusion about a first-year player at Summer League uh, or the opposite, you know, this guy's already a bust or whatever. But, you know, with that caveat, 
of course, you're there. You see these guys. We only got a glimpse of Zion Williamson before the Pelicans pulled the plug on that. There's some other guys that we haven't seen at all because of weird trade rule reasons like a Cam Johnson of UNC. But among those you have witnessed, you know, you mentioned Tyler Hero of Kentucky. Uh, who just made a great first impression or an alarming first impression? You know, uh, R.J. Barrett had a really tough couple games, uh, but he played well last night, and I think he's, you know, he's dealing with uh, the fact that he's got a lot of expectations coming into the league. I'm actually below on R.J. Barrett. Uh, as you know, I don't know if you've played that sound clip about being bearish on Barrett, but I do know that he had a better <laughs> game here. Um, and he, he actually, you know, the thing that I worry about with him is, you know, when you're not efficient at the free throw line or at three point line, and you're considered a high volume shooter, that is concerning to me. Um, but you saw a little bit more, uh, poise in the, in the game last night. And I think another guy, Anthony Simons over there, uh, he's a, a 20 year old, or I think still 19 for the Portland trailblazers. He's a really special player. Uh, at, at summer league and in a second year player at that, and I think you know it's it's tough because there's no John Morant, uh, there's no DeAndre Hunter, there's a lot of players who are just sitting out this this summer league, and it's hard to really grade. You know, they're not playing against great competition. So I, I think this summer league is, is there. It's a paradox because I think the interest in summer league and Vegas summer league is through the roof, but I think in terms of star power and and in like in terms of the on court game. It's as low as it's been in years. So I think without uh, without John Morant, without Zion Williamson, without DeAndre Hunter, without Darius Garland, it's just not a lot of names to draw from. But I will say, R.J. Barrett um, has got to play a little bit better. Uh, he's he's young, and I think he's going to play better as he gets into the into the NBA. But I still worry about his ability to finish at a high efficiency, and I would push back against the, the James Harden uh, comps. I think he's just. He's got to get better uh, as a shooter. Just so you know, if we were to run with your bearish on Barrett phrase, we would have had our people get in touch with your people before we started, you know, printing T-shirts just to make sure you got the biggest (laughs) chunk of the royalties. Last thing for you, Tom Haverstrow of NBC Sports. Uh, We saw the news that there will be challenges for NBA head coaches. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent as you love this game and see how such things have played out in other sports? You know, I think it's good that there's a little bit of more leeway for players and coaches to, uh, you know, basically uh, appeal, um, uh, you know, calls on the court. You see it in baseball. You see it in football. And I'm surprised that basketball has taken this long. Um, But I do think that there is a little bit of a worry here is just adding more time to the end of games if a coach decides to hold out on his coach's challenge, remember he only has one, even if he's correct on the coach's challenge, it's not like you get it back. Um, and, you know, it, it's a sm- small scope right now. So it's only limited to a, a certain number of scenarios on the court. Uh, so it might not have as much impact as people would imagine. Uh, you see it in the NFL or, or in baseball, but uh, you know, it's something that I think is good in terms of being open-minded and, and trying to improve relations with referees. Uh, and having more human, you know, thinking of referees as human beings who make mistakes, I think is only good for the NBA. They're very, very hard on any sort of criticism of referees, coaches and players and executives get fined um, at any, any sort of the, the hint of criticism of the referees. And I think just being more understandable that these are human beings making this, these decisions and they can be wrong from time to time. 
I think it's healthy overall for the sport, and I welcome that. His name is Tom Haberstroh. Find his work as an outstanding NBA insider for NBC Sports and NBCSports.com. On Twitter, he is at Tom Haberstroh. Thanks for the midsummer visit, man. Keep up the good work and enjoy Las Vegas. All right. Thanks, DG. You too. You got it. Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel in the books. Tom Haberstroh live from Las Vegas. And how's this for another live correspondent? Howard Fendrich is an outstanding tennis writer for the Associated Press. He's going to join us in less than 15 minutes live from the All England Club in Wimbledon, London. Serena Williams will play tomorrow for her, or the next day actually, for her 24th Grand Slam singles championship. That is the all-time record for men or women. Meanwhile, the three men in the history of tennis who have the most Grand Slam singles titles, Federer has 20, Nadal has 18, and Djokovic has 15. They're three of the four guys still standing in this year's Wimbledon men's semifinals. For those wondering, Pete Sampras, the retired American, is fourth on that men's list with 14 Grand Slam singles titles. All those men, by the way, join Serena in the reality that they're all in their 30s. Federer and Serena, late 30s, so who knows how many more years we get to enjoy their excellence. Nadal and Djokovic would be early 30s, but enjoy it while you can in all of these cases. Howard Fendrich on, ten on tennis live from Wimbledon a little bit later this hour. Last chance for phone calls on the other side at 1-800-849-2761. If you're just joining us, we've been discussing the NCAA's notice of allegation sent to NC State as part of the fallout from the FBI's investigation of college basketball. The Wolfpack was just the first to receive such an NOA. There will be plenty more schools on the receiving end of those as the FBI handed over a treasure trove of evidence to the NCAA, and that evidence is going to help the NCAA prove uh, or go a long way toward proving a lot of the evidence in, so, in these sometimes tricky cases. The floating, you can of course jump in with a question or comment on the NCAA versus the Wolfpack. The floating question of the day came from Josh Norman describing a recent day as one of the greatest of his entire lifetime. He took part in the famous running of the Bulls in Pamplona, uh, Pamplona Spain. The former Panthers cornerback now with Washington even got video of him leaping over a bull inside a bull ring after he did the traditional run down the streets of Pamplona. If you've had any first-person sports experience that rose to a level where you described it the way Josh described that day, one of the greatest of my entire lifetime, today's the day to share that story with your fellow citizens and sports fans across North Carolina. 1-800-849-2761. Live check-in from Wimbledon later this hour. Your phone calls and the, North, the, the law officials in New York City are investing a possible hate crime that was directed toward Megan Rapino of the U.S. Women's National Team. Remember, they were there for the parade in New York City yesterday morning before being featured and then awarded with the Team of the Year honor at the ESPYs last night. More on that investigation. Never want to see something like that, no matter what you think of Megan Rapino. More of those details a little bit on equal pay, if you'd like to chime in with a question or comment. That's kind of the hot-button issue now that the World Women's World Cup has been won. Some say, of course, the women should make as much or more money than the men, especially in the United States, because they win more. Others say, wait a minute, you can't just unplug the principles of capitalism, right? 
the economic model is much smaller for the women's world soccer or the women's world cup in soccer internationally the men's economic model is much larger so who's right who's wrong where does the truth lie in between you can jump in with your question or comment on that as well 1-800-849-2761 a great headline and serious series of them emanating from wimbledon howard fendrich will join us on those you can join us on the other topics of the day, 1-800-849-2761, next on The David Lynch Show. Mike Krzyzewski joining us. We asked folks who work with at Duke if you've changed or mellowed over the years. Well, you know, mellow is having a glass of wine and looking over, you know, the sunset, you know. <laughs> uh, I don't see how you can be mellow and coach a game. That can't happen. If it does, then you shouldn't be coaching. Keep it here on The David Lynch Show. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Craig in Greensboro wants to clarify how CBD oil, the latest rage on the PGA Tour, how it works, and how maybe it could get some of you in trouble. You better be careful. The next test you may have at work, and I don't mean one where you take a pencil and you check a box. I mean when you make a deposit of a different kind and perhaps they use that fluid and put it through certain tests, Craig in Greensboro may be able to save you from the wrong kind of positive. We'll see what kind of expertise he can share since, let's see, hemp and marijuana involving Steve Blunt, Steve Blunt Kerr and Swaggy P. Nick Young. CBD oil is apparently the rage on the PGA Tour. Who knew that all of these things would come up in the same day? Maybe I'll go to Craig now in Greensboro. By the way, any of you guys know Jerry Falwell well? You know, the, the Liberty University guy, because I'm a little concerned. I mean, I don't share his view of the world at all, frankly. But just on today's program, let me, let me review. Just on today's program, unexpectedly, marijuana use has come up. CBD oil has come up. The Wolfpack allowing alcohol at sporting events here in North Carolina. And more examples of that because of a change in state law happen, happening. Our state getting closer to reality, the reality of more of sports gambling coming here legally for the first time. NC State's trouble with the NCAA, man. If there's a flood or locusts here at the David Glenn Show today, is Falwell going to tell me that it's God sending us a message? After, I mean, that's a lot of things going on there. And I've heard some of his crazy comments in the past. You know, there's a, there's a tornado, and he thinks God sent it your way. If there's ever a day... Nathan, brace yourself. Buckle up, boys. If there's ever a day, today's the day that the earthquake is coming to the David Glenn Show because I didn't think all those things were going to come up, but they have hit us in unison unexpectedly. Uh, I'm going to drive carefully on the way home tonight. Greg and uh, Craig in Greensboro, you're next on the David Glenn Show. Go right ahead. Hey, David. Um, I called in. I'm a, I'm a licensed substance use counselor, so I wanted to kind of give a little bit of a that perspective on what we're talking about here today with All right. CBD oil. Go ahead. Um, also, of course, I have to give the whole disclaimer that I'm not doing any counseling or anything like that ever at all. Yeah, I, uh, I know that disclaimer. I've had I've yeah. had that come up in the legal context a few times. Go ahead. I'm sure you, I'm sure you have. So technically, the difference between hemp and marijuana is that uh, they're in the same family. They're cousins of one another, and in order for something to be called a hemp plant, it has to contain less than three percent. THC in its in its makeup, okay. um, but that still means it contains THC. Right. Um, so if you're making CBD oil um, from hemp, so 
some of the hemp is going to be almost 0% um, THC, and then right. some of it's going to be up to 3%. And that's considering you're even getting it from a reputable source. Most folks are getting it online and could be coming from a factory somewhere totally different. They might be using actual marijuana plants because it's apparently easier and cheaper to get the CBD oil from a marijuana plant than it is a hemp plant, and you're, you can get more of it per plant. Um, but at the same point, you know, you're not you're not having to answer these people's uh, boss when they pop a drug test on you and you're failing the drug. Yeah, well, that's it. What would your advice be to either a listener or an athlete who may use CBD oil for pain relief but doesn't want to flunk uh, a blood or urine test? Um, mostly try to use American-based or, uh, or companies that you know have a reputable uh, history with yeah. it. I mean, even some of like the Pepsi-Cola and Coca-Cola are getting into this uh, uh, industry. They've bought small CBD uh, oil manufacturers and stuff like that. So try to get it from a reputable source that has some type of guarantee or some kind of uh, you know way of, of verifying their CBD oil, the THC content. Because yeah. otherwise, you're running the risk. There was, a, like I was telling the, the screener, uh, there was the sheriff's department in one of the local counties got a letter all the employees got a letter saying, hey, you know, CBD oil is becoming real popular. Be careful because we've had to fire a couple of people because they unwittingly, you know, took CBD oil that had THC in it. And, and we know that athletes have lost big money and people have lost real jobs over not knowing what was in what they were consuming. I mean, some people are just outright breaking the rules, and if they get caught, they get caught. Other people, it's like, I didn't know this was in that supplement. I didn't. And sometimes it can, in the sports context, cost people millions of dollars. I appreciate the call, Craig. We have a guest live from Wimbledon on the other side. I'll give you one thing I promised quickly. New York City police are investigating a possible hate crime directed toward U.S. women's national team star Megan Rapino after posters featuring Rapino were defaced with derogatory slurs. Police said the vandalism was being investigated by the police department's hate crime task force. It was discovered inside the Bryant Park subway station in Midtown Manhattan on Monday. Remember, the U.S. women's national team was in New York City uh, over the last couple of days. Just, just kind of ugly news. Whether you like M Megan Rapinoe or not, uh, I think there's a few places to draw the line. If you wished her a broken leg rather than just criticizing her while exercising your free speech rights, I think you're a bad person. Wishing an injury is crossing the line. Suggesting that somebody shouldn't be eligible for Team USA because they don't pass your patriotism test. I think that's all also incredibly un-American since we all have different definitions of what makes somebody patriotic or not. This would be another thing to add to the list. Derogatory slurs defacing her posters. Again, if the right word is deplorable, we'll use the right word, deplorable. On the other side, Howard Fendrich covers tennis with distinction for the Associated Press. He's live at the All England Club in Wimbledon, and those folks have given tennis fans absolutely everything they could have possibly asked for. Serena gets a shot at another Grand Slam singles title. Djokovic, Federer, and Nadal are three of the four men still standing. Howard Fedrich, live from Wimbledon, next on the David Glenn Show. Ruffin McNeil, welcome back. I know we'll always be a huge part of you and your family. You know, this will be my last coaching stop after this. Yeah, maybe join you on a radio show or Amen. do some of that. Yeah. We'll, but, be, we'll uh, be doing some remote shows from your boat in the middle of the Caribbean somewhere <laughs> if I have my way. You're listening to The David Glenn Show.
If I were the god of tennis, or I had some kind of magic wand, I would do two things. I would get Howard Fendrich of the Associated Press to join us live from Wimbledon. And I would create a Wimbledon 2019 style for tennis fans, wherein Serena is playing for the title again, wherein Nadal and Djokovic and Federer are still standing in the semifinals on the men's side. And, I, oh, I don't know, maybe I'd give a 15-year-old Coco Graf. Maybe I would give an Andy Murray-Serena Williams mixed doubles combo. I mean, can it get any better than that? We will ask Howard. We thank him, the Extra Effort Award, for joining us from the other side of the pond. Welcome to the David Glenn Show. Uh, am I over the top, or is this about as good a Wimbledon as we could have possibly seen so far? Huh. Uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, no, I think you're right. I mean, it, it's been a pretty incredible tournament for, for all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, a ton of interesting storyline. The fact that, um, you know, the match most people have been hoping for the whole time hasn't even happened yet. That's tomorrow when we get Federer against Nadal in the semifinals. Hulk believes it's the first time since 2008 that those guys have played each other here. Uh, it's their 40th career matchup. They've obviously had that, this tremendous rivalry over the years, and uh, including maybe their most famous, their greatest match ever was that final five, uh, 11 years ago, went five sets, nine, seven in the fifth. It was impossible to see out there. Federer complained about that afterwards, and Nadal stunned Federer, ended his streak of five consecutive titles here, and uh, so we'll see those two match up again tomorrow yeah i looked that up it's nadal 24 federer 15 head to head over the years of course they're viewed as two of the greatest of all time when you hear the goat phrase greatest of all time and on the men's side most people i follow suggest that federer and nadal and djokovic are the three in whatever order they do have the most grand slam singles titles of all time do you believe that's in any way a disservice to history or any of the previously great men's players? Or do you think, you know, it's right that a guy who's about to turn 38, Roger Federer, and two guys in their earlier 30s, Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, that, that they deserve in whatever order to be slotted one, two, and three? I mean, there, there's always going to be a recency bias and I also, I've been covering tennis since around 2000, so I saw the tail end of Agassi and Sampras, let's say, and I grew up, without yeah. dating myself too much, <laughs> I grew up watching guys like Connors and McEnroe and Borg. So did uh, I. <laughs> and, and, and then the Becker-Edberg generation. and So, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot of greats. I wasn't around when Rod Laver was winning yeah. a Grand Slam twice he did it against amateurs in 62 and then he did it against professionals in 69 uh and nobody's done it since for all went off no man i should say it's done it since when all four of those titles in the same year so uh you know and it's easy to look at just the pure numbers and see well gee federer's first with 20 then comes nadal with 18 and then comes Djokovic with 15 uh, and say, well, they must be the top three of all time. But I think that does do a little bit of a disservice to a guy like Laver, who lost about five years of competition against uh, the amateur era there when, once he had turned pro and couldn't keep accumulating Grand Slam titles. But, uh, I mean, I don't have a problem with people who want to put these three of today at the top of the list because they are pretty incredible. And 
they've had to do it also beating each other up. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they've played each other so many times in the latter stages of all tournaments, especially the Grand Slams, most noteworthy, of course, and the fact that they've each managed to accumulate as much as they have while playing at the same time as each other is, is pretty incredible. Howard Fendrich is joining us live from Wimbledon, does great work for the Associated Press. You can follow him on Twitter, at Howard Fendrich. With Federer being 37... And Serena being a mom who took some time off, and she's 37, now two and a half years from her most recent Grand Slam singles title. Do they ever tip their hands about how much longer we get to enjoy them in this capacity? I know they make so much money off the court. You know, what do we know about tennis players at 37 years old? Like, it doesn't feel, it feels like that's pretty darn old for that sport, and yet they've often been great even well into their 30s. Yeah, uh, I mean, that is one of the remarkable things about both of them. I mean, Serena, by winning today in a route in her semifinal at Wimbledon to get to the final on Saturday, she became the oldest woman to reach a Grand Slam final. Wow. Martina Navratilova was about a month younger when she lost in the 1994 Wimbledon final, and here's Serena with a chance to win, and she's Coming up on 38, just as Federer is. One, Federer turns 38 in August, Serena does in September. And the fact that they've kept doing it at these ages really is part of what makes them so unusual and, and makes a lot of people point to those two as being the goats. Uh, and uh, there, there's really no way to know how much longer they'll keep going. I mean, people have been trying to write Federer off for years and years and years. Yeah. Um, and he keeps coming back, and he keeps making changes. He got a larger racket. He changed the way he uses his backhand. Um, took the clay seasons off, and he decided, you know what, let me try clay again this year. And he made it to the semis at the French Open and lost to Rafael Nadal, who happens to be, of course, the greatest clay court player of any era ever. Uh, and then you've got Serena, who, yeah, takes time away. Cause she's, I mean, First of all, let's also not forget she won her last, her 23rd Grand Slam title to break a tie with Steffi Graf for the most in the professional era while she was pregnant. Yeah. And she takes, takes time off, has her baby who's here with her. Olympia is now, her daughter is now almost two years old. Uh, and uh, comes back, she reached two Grand Slam finals last year after coming back here, losing to Angelique Kerber. And at the U.S. Open where there was that crazy chaotic Final that kind of devolved into a, a, a nutty scene with crowd booing and all of that against uh, Naomi Osaka. So this is the third Grand Slam final of her comeback. Uh, whether she wins or loses, it's it's all pretty pretty impressive. I've been to the French Open. I've been to the U.S. Open. I have never been to Wimbledon, but I assume it's similar in the sense that once you get in, you can decide which match you want to see and I was intrigued earlier in this year's event I believe a, a match had ended at center court and most people were getting ready to leave because like a you know a, a lower profile match in a lower profile bracket was about to take place and then people realized maybe there was an announcement I'm not sure hey Andy Murray right local superhero and Serena Williams the greatest of all time in women's tennis 
are actually in the mixed doubles match that is about to be played next. And like everybody turned around and went back to their seats and it was a great crowd was, I mean, I know I'll ask you about Coco golf in a minute, but how does that work? Especially when you're in the United Kingdom where I, they respect Serena as a seven time champion there, but you know, Andy Murray's like a godlike figure. Yeah. I mean, he, he's a rock star over here. Murray is sort of the, you know, I guess the, the Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, whatever you want to say in terms of absolute top elite athlete in terms of popularity, being famous uh, over here. Uh, I mean, the, the guy's a knight. You know, he's yeah. knighted. Right. right. Sir Andy, they call him over <laughs> here. So, um, and, and, and as you say, they, they appreciate the greatness of Serena as well. So putting the two of them together on a court here, I mean, the, 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 just – the, the normally, um, the, the, the normally, uh, I guess, uh, the tired of it all reporters were, were getting excited, particularly the British ones, about that pairing. So you can imagine the fans, and yes, what they did was that the, the uh, head of the All England Club had said, look, Andy's incredibly popular. We don't want to risk him getting, like, stampeded as we try to walk him out to a smaller court <laughs> because here it's all of course outdoors right and there are certain courts that one needs to just walk through the crowd you'll see players you'll pass a venus williams or a serena williams or whomever if they're on let's say court two which is sort of at the far end of the grounds from center court so they didn't want to send them out to smaller courts and they had said on the schedule it was to be announced and so when there was time in the day to throw them on center court they did that and the crowds of course went crazy when it was announced because now they were going to get to see these two and it was fun to watch i think anybody a tennis fan or not could appreciate uh seeing those two on the court at the same time it's almost sort of the equivalent of like an all-star game type thing that we have in the states where you don't normally see these two athletes sharing the yeah. field of play and uh, so it was a neat treat for the fans, definitely. And of course, as soon as they lost, which they eventually did, right. the questions started coming. So are we going to see this again at the U.S. Open? <laughs> you know, very breathless. So uh, my guess would be we will not see that again. But, but it certainly, I think they seem to have fun with it, and, and the fans certainly loved it. I remember Serena and Venus Williams hitting our radar as teenagers, and of course they've gone on to all sorts of great success. I forget the exact ages where you know Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic kind of hit the scene, but how do you paint the broad picture behind 15-year-old Coco Golf of the United States? She was the youngest person ever to make a main draw at Wimbledon. So simply objectively, we already know that's a heck of an accomplishment. She won a few matches, even eliminated one of her childhood idols, Venus Williams, for those who don't know. Uh, you know, what do you, how do you describe that transition? And, and what have you taken away from Coco Golf? I'm sure you knew a little bit about her, but this is her big splash on the scene. Yeah, it really, it really was remarkable. I mean, as uh, Richard Lewis, the chief executive of the Old England Club, said, you know, a star is born. Yep. It's great for the sport. It's great for the event. That's where he put it, and it's true. I mean, she's she's a fresh face. She's somebody new. It's, it's always fun. Tennis is one of those sports that a lot more so in the past would produce these teenagers. I mean, let's not forget Boris Becker right. was 17 when he first won Wimbledon. Michael Chang was 16 when he was 
cramping and serving underhanded against Yvonne Lendl on his way to eventually winning the French Open. Uh, so, you know, we've seen youngsters every so often. It's been a while, though, in tennis. And, um, so, golf, she didn't completely come out of nowhere in the sense that in the world of tennis, she's been talked about for a few years. I think the first time I heard about her was when she was 12. When she was 13, she was the runner-up at the U.S. Open Junior Tournament, the youngest ever to do that. At 14, she won the French Open Junior Tournament. Uh, But still, there's a huge leap to go from junior tournaments to the pros. And then to see her out there against Venus Williams, who, as you say, was one of her idols growing up, one of the reasons she plays tennis, and a 24-year age gap, uh, I mean, it was uh, pretty unusual and remarkable to see. And what's impressive about golf is not just the way she plays, which includes a very good serve that already was the third fastest of the entire tournament. Only two players, one being Serena Williams, hit a serve faster than golf did while she was here, and a very good backhand. Um, but uh, poised. She's incredibly composed, both on the court, off the court. Very impressive. I uh, got to meet and speak with her parents for a little bit while uh, she was here, and uh, they seem to have done a great job not just of raising a terrific tennis player but of raising a really good kid, and I would expect that we'll see a lot more of her. There are, there are age rules in place. You know, back in the old days when, let's say, Tracy Austin was winning the U.S. Open at 16, yeah. the, the, the tour did not um, – tried to sort of help the youngest kids along by limiting how much they could play. Now there are rules in place that's sort of creating a whole new debate about whether those rules are appropriate, whether they're going to help or hurt someone like off. Um, but she does seem to be somebody that we will hear a lot from in the future. In about 30 seconds, when these guys eventually fade away, do the, does the United States have any up-and-coming men that could jump into the spotlight the way we got spoiled seeing for a long time? Because I know you know, guys like Isner and, and Sam Querrey are in their 30s. Uh, 30 seconds, what do you have on that? Uh, there, there, there's a trio of 21-year-old guys uh, who are friends who are coming up together and are starting to make some moves. Francis Tiafo, who reached the quarterfinals in the Australian Open. Uh, Riley Opelka who uh, made a little bit of a run here, and Taylor Fritz, who won his first ATP title at the Eastbourne Grass Court tune-up the week before Wimbledon. Those three guys are starting to make moves. Now, are they going to wind up being top 20, top 10 players and competing for Grand Slam titles? That's hard to say, of course, but I would say there's a little bit more hope in that regard than maybe there has been in a little bit of time in the U.S. Howard Roddick in 2003 as an American man, won a Grand Slam title. Howard Fendrich, Associated Press on Twitter at Howard Fendrich. Thanks very much for your visit from Wimbledon. Thanks for having me. You got it. Final thoughts and TV picks as we come down the stretch next. UNC coach Roy Williams is joining us. You are uncomfortable with your name in the same sentence as Dean Smith. I know that I will never be as good as he was in in any way. And yet when I hear people say those things, yeah, those things are pretty neat. But I try to make sure that's about as far as I go. Keep it here on the David Glenn Show. 
are coming down the stretch on today's program. And down the stretch they come. Astros at Rangers tonight, 8 o'clock ESPN, your best TV pick. The rest of the Major League Baseball folks get underway tomorrow. Nathan Bernstein did a great job filling in for Darren Vaught today. Thanks to our three great guests. And to you for contributing and listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Mr. President, Barack Obama, welcome to the David Glenn Show. How are you? David, it's great to be on. It's wonderful to, to talk to the folks in North Carolina. I always say uh, I love the state of North Carolina, love the people of North Carolina. Even the folks who don't support me down there are nice to me. The David Glenn Show.